now let's take our Bibles for our time in God's Word today, and I want you to turn with me again this morning to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, if you'll turn there as we're continuing our journey uh, through this great letter that's about growing in grace and truth. If you'd like to use the Bibles provided for you, you're going to find that on page 1019, but we're in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. This morning, my devotions, I was reading from John 1. When it talks about Jesus being the eternal word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. And that is how the Lord wants us to live our lives, to be reflectors of his character, to be people that are full of grace and truth. And that's what 2 Peter is about. It is a challenge to us in these days of opposition and in these days when there's actually an erosion of biblical faith and attacks on biblical faith to still be people of grace and truth. And so we want to look at that again today. And we're going to be reading this morning, beginning in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'll ask you to follow along, beginning at verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And if you are able, please, would you stand together as we read God's word? I ask you to stand and respect the word. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come and reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. I remember on occasion when I was about 16 years of age, I was uh, walking to one of the practices of high school sport that I'm involved in. I can't remember if it was football or baseball. I think it was baseball season. But while I was walking along to practice, I heard someone honk their horn, and I looked over, and it was my friend and also member of the team. His name was Greg Snell. And he was there in his Plymouth GTX 440 cubic inch four-barrel it was a hot rod, let me tell you. And I really, really was covetous of that thing. <laughs> but he invited me to take a ride with him. And I thought, well, great. So I hopped in, and Greg starts driving. And he says, hey, Polson, let me show you what it'll do. 
And we had gotten out near a US 40 outside the town which I was raised, and he pushed the accelerator down. And we were flying down that highway. The last time I opened my eyes, <laughs> it was 130 miles an hour. Okay. 130 miles an hour. The telephone poles were going by us like a picket fence. I was terrified. And finally, I got him to stop. Uh, these were my, this was in my BC days, okay, before Christ. And I said some things to him, and I promised him. <laughs> I, I remember saying, if you ever do that again, I'll hit you square in the mouth. I remember <laughs> saying something like that with a few adjectives uh, along the way. 130 miles an hour. But you know, in reality, Greg Snell was just traveling at a snail's pace. You have any idea how fast you're moving right now? You say, I'm not moving at all. <laughs> you are moving. You know how fast you're moving? This earth is spinning. And moment by moment, you are spinning with it 1,000 miles an hour. This earth is turning and rotating. 1,000 miles an hour. And that's nothing. Because we also know that the earth is orbiting the sun. While it is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, the earth is orbiting the sun. And the earth that is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour is traveling around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour right now. And that is a snail's pace because when you realize our solar system, our solar system, with all of the spinning planets around our one star, our solar system is also spinning and going around the Milky Way galaxy. Now, it's hard to come up with how you measure speed with spinning objects, all of which are in rotation and moving. But you know, our solar system is moving around the Milky Way, estimated at 483,000 miles an hour. And you thought you were sitting in church. <laughs> Folks, the reality, listen, the reality is we are, are rocketing through the universe. We are rocketing at speeds unimaginable through the universe and every particle of it is headed for one finish line. And that finish line is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord we are hurtling through space for a destination with Almighty God. 
the Bible calls the day of the Lord. It's the day of divine intervention in the affairs of man. And that's what Peter is talking about here in chapter 3. He's talking about the day of the Lord. Now remember, he has been challenging us in chapter 2 and early in chapter 3 about false teachers. How that the church must always be on guard for false teachers and how we can recognize them. We can recognize them by their manner, their proud and arrogant manner. They can be recognized by their morals, completely self-gratifying self-seeking, but also fast, uh, false teachers can be recognized by their message. Their message does not square with the word of God. But one thing in particular, he said, as we saw last week, he said that there will come scoffers. There will be scoffers. And scoffers will ridicule righteousness. That's what scoffers do. You see, there are people not only outside the church, but it can happen inside the church who are ridiculing the things of God. They ridicule righteousness. They're scoffers. And he says in chapter 3, they will be scoffing. Do you remember? They'll be scoffing about the day of the Lord. Verse 4, they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything continues the same. And you remember Peter said they willfully overlook a couple of things. They willfully overlook that everything was created by God. And they also willfully overlook that God has in the past already intervened in human history. All things are not going to continue as they are. And God has already proven that as he sent a worldwide judgment, a flood. And he destroyed the earth, the previous earth. And now this new earth, since the flood, has been continuing with the promise that there is coming a day of God's intervention and God's judgment again. And scoffers say, where is he? We've been hearing about this Jesus come back, coming back for Thousands of years. Where is he? And sometimes we as Christians, we feel like this, don't we? Lord, where are you? Where are you? But you remember, he reminded us in verses 8 through 9, why the Lord waits. Why does he wait? Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God in his patience, in the delay of his intervention, is giving opportunity for people to repent and know his salvation and his forgiveness. God is patient. Aren't you thankful for that today? God is patient. But, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Now here's the question this morning to focus us. How should we live in our day? How should we live in our day as we're speeding toward 
that day? How should we live in our day as we are speeding toward that day? So I want us to think from this passage for a few moments about what it means to live with last days living. Last days living. How should we live knowing that at any time the Lord can come, the day of the Lord's intervention is coming? How should we live in these last days? So I want us to this morning, as we've read from Peter, I want us to take what Peter says and I want us to ask and answer four questions, okay? Just ask and answer four questions and the answers come from Peter. The first question we need to ask, what is the day of the Lord? He says the day of the Lord will come. Well, what is the day of the Lord? Well, technically, listen carefully, it's not a day. It's not a 24-hour day. The day of the Lord means a time. It means a time of God's personal intervention in the affairs of human history and life. That God is going to intervene. There's coming a time of God's intervention. It's referred to as the day of the Lord. Now this term is used throughout the Old Testament. The day of the Lord. We'll see that in a few minutes. It's also referred to many times in the New Testament. But this season of divine intervention has two contrasts to it. Two radically different contrasts. On one hand, it is a time of judgment. Judgment is coming because the judge is coming. It is a time of judgment, but it is also for those who are ready, those who know the judge, it's a time of joy. It's a time of joy. It's a time of judgment and joy. What is the day of the Lord? That's what it is. Now here's the second question. What will happen? What will happen on the day of the Lord? This season of divine intervention, what will happen? Well, I think the best way we can answer that is to let the scripture answer that. Don't you think that's a good way to find an answer? What, what does the Bible say will happen? What does God himself say through his word will happen on the day of the Lord? And what I want us to do now is just to take a brief tour you're welcome to look in scriptures, but I'm, I'm having these put on the screens for you this morning of what the Old Testament prophets said about the day of the Lord. They were inspired by God to say, this is what the day of the Lord will be like. Let's begin with Joel. That's who Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost when he preached that first great sermon. Joel says, chapter 2, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Then verse 31. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord 
cause. There you have judgment and joy. Well, there's a little prophet, little prophet with a big message. His name's Obadiah. And Obadiah had one message, the day of the Lord. And he said this, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. There is a day of justice from God upon the nations of the earth. The great prophet Isaiah many times refers to the day of the Lord. Many times. Here's what he said. Isaiah 13 verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven, their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. And I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Zephaniah, another great prophet of Israel. Chapter 1. The great day of the Lord is near. This is verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening to the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. For the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet blast and the battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. I will be, bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord." And then the last few verses of the Old Testament in Malachi. Some of the last verses are about the day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. For behold the day is coming. Burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evil doers will be stubble. That day is coming. That day is coming and shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts. Now the Bible in the Old Testament is filled with descriptions of that day. And the New Testament has many, often referring to it as a time of the second coming, but it also refers to it as the, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. And Peter sums it up. Look back at your text here. Peter sums it up this way, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the word roar there is like a hissing, like a crackling sound. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now here Peter is summing up the day of the Lord. I hope that you understand there are many specific events that are going to take place in what we would think of as the day of the Lord. So as you, as you think about the end times, you have to take all the Bible says and look at the various things which are described that are going to take place in that time frame known as the day of the Lord. But Peter here is just summing it up. He's summing it up that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment on sin, sinners, and the evil of this world but it is also a day of joy for the righteous, those who trust in Jesus, because it is the ultimate day of our full salvation <laughs> when the new age finally comes. The kingdom of the Lord comes with the king. Now, the hearts of believers, as believers... We <laughs> So often we cry out, cry out, how long, Lord? How long? I read this in your word. How long, O Lord? And that's the third question I want us to ask and answer. The third question is, when will the day of the Lord occur? occur? When will the day of the Lord occur? When's this going to happen? And you know, over the past hundreds and hundreds of years, many people have tried to pinpoint the time of the Lord's return, haven't they? So it happens so often. We hear about it on a regular basis. But guess what? All of those have in common who've tried to pinpoint the day of the Lord. What? They've all been wrong. <laughs> They've all been wrong. Why? Because the word of God is so clear. The word of God says no one knows the day. No one knows the day when this will happen. We don't know when, but we do know how. We know how it's going to happen. Look at verse 10 again. Peter says, it will happen what? Like a thief. Unexpectedly. Unplanned for. Unprepared for. It will happen like a thief. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said the very same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's what Paul said. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then Sudden destruction will come upon them. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief. Peter and Paul got that from Jesus, who when he was asked, what will it be like when you come? He said, it's going to be like a thief. And he tells us to make sure that we are ready. That we're ready. Even though we don't know when that day is, 
we can be ready for when that day comes. And that's the final question I want us to ask and answer. And it is the focus of what Peter has to say to us. Because here's the final question. What impact should the day of the Lord have on us as Christians? What should this mean to us? How should this impact us? If we truly believe that the day of the Lord is coming, then how should that impact us? That is exactly what Peter is putting the emphasis on as he closes this letter. And he answers it so clearly. He says, now notice, there are three qualities that should be in our lives if we truly believe in the day of the Lord. Here's how it should impact our lives. Here's three qualities that Peter mentions. Number one, it should impact our lives with this word, sanctification. Sanctification. Verse 11, notice. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now notice, he's not asking a question. He's making an exclamation. What sort of people ought you to be? And you know what that, that phrase literally means? The, the phrase here literally means this, and I was going to pronounce the phrase, but since we have a real Greek with us, I did not want to do that in his presence, okay? <laughs> Maybe the second service I'll have a go at it, okay? But not now, okay? But here is what it means, literally. What outstanding, excellent people ought you to be? This what sort of people is the idea. What outstanding, excellent people you ought to be in the light of his coming. You know, when I was growing up in my hometown, you could walk down Main Street and near the center of town, there was this building that had a big long sign on the side of it, had initials down the side. It said B-P-O-E. B-P-O-E. And I found out that that meant the benevolent and protective order of the Elks. That's where the Elks clubs was. The benevolent and protector, protective order of the Elks. And we used to say B-P-O-E stands for best people on earth. Okay, that's what they think they are. The best people on earth. And we were kind of smug about that. But guess what? If we believe that the Lord is coming, it should call us, cause us in the very best sense to want to be the best people on earth. Not for us and our name, but for the glory of the Lord. We should have a desire to be the kind of people that reflect an expectancy of the Lord. He says, what kind of people? You ought to be this incredible kind of excellent people. What's an excellent life, according to Peter? What's the best life? He says, look at verse 11, in holiness 
and godliness. Holiness, we get our, our word sanctify from that. It has the idea of being set apart to God. But specifically, it has to do with your actions. Holiness is that you live your life with a demonstration that your life is not your own, you belong to Christ, and that you've been called to be different. You've been called to a different focus, a different priority system. And you live by that. That is holiness, being different in our actions. And then he says we should live not only with holiness, but godliness. This word godliness here has at its meaning the, our attitude. Our actions should be holy. Our attitude should be godly. The, the word here is hard to translate for us in our, our modern English, but it basically has the idea of a God consciousness. That we live our lives with a consciousness of God. That God is constantly in our thoughts. Now folks, how do you do that? How do you live a life? What causes us to live a life that is godly in our actions and in our attitudes, holy in our actions, set apart, godly in our attitudes. What causes that? Folks, I'll tell you, there's only one thing that can keep you God conscious in your life and actions and your spirit and your mind, and that is to worship the Lord regularly. You keep God in your thoughts as you keep yourself in the presence of God. And when you're alone with God and you read his word and you pray to him and you open yourself to him and you allow him to speak to you, that instills in your mind a God consciousness that I have been called to be a different kind of person because my Lord is so radically different. First quality of a person who's living in light of the coming is sanctification. The second quality is participation. Participation. Verse, verse 12, this is, this is amazing. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will burn. Now, notice he says we're to be waiting, and that doesn't mean that we're just sitting, of course. And actually, he says, as we're not just waiting, we are hastening the day of the Lord. What that means is that we are causing the day of the Lord to hurry up. Now, that seems strange. Wait a minute. How can we cause the hastening of the day of the Lord? Well, in the ultimate sense, in the ultimate sense, we can't. God is sovereign and he knows the day that he will intervene. He knows that. But now listen, in a practical sense, 
We are involved in this. Listen carefully. We are participants in the coming of Christ. If you will take this with you and you will reflect on it, I assure you the coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord, will never be the same to you. You are not a spectator in the coming of God. You are a participant. How do we participate in the coming of the day of the Lord? How do I participate in that? Well, let me give you a few ways. Jesus said you participate by intercession. You pray about it and you pray for it. You know, the Lord has determined that what he's going to do, he gets his people praying about it. And we enter into what he's doing. Jesus put it this way. How did he teach us to pray in the model prayer? He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What did he say in Matthew 6? Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did he tell us to pray? Your kingdom come for us to pray for the kingdom of God to come. And the kingdom ultimately comes when the king comes. But we are to participate in this because we are his kingdom people We are to see the kingdom and its reality coming as we are kingdom people influencing the world in which we live. Folks, you understand that as we pray about the things of the kingdom and then we go out to live for the king, we are bringing the kingdom near to people. It's an amazing thing to think about. We're part of this. Lord, your kingdom come. And until you come, let me bring you near. As your will is done in my life. How do you bring the kingdom? You do it through the day of the Lord. You bring it near. You hasten the day of the Lord by intercession. You pray for it. You bring the day of the Lord by evangelization. We hasten the day of the Lord through evangelization. What is it that Jesus said about the day of the Lord? Do you remember? They kept asking him, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And in Matthew 24, Jesus said this, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then, The end will come. The end will come when this gospel is proclaimed throughout all the ethna, all the people groups of the world. Now, folks, here's the question. How does the gospel get to the people groups of the world? It gets to the people groups of the world by disciples going with the message of the gospel. As we go... And as we help others to go, we are hastening the coming of the Lord. Why does the Lord wait? Do you remember what did Peter say? He is patient so people may what? Repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we evangelize, we are seeing people repent. We're involved in bringing the day of the Lord. And then thirdly, 
We participate through investment, through investment. You know, Paul wrote a letter to thank people for investing in bringing the kingdom. You know what letter that was? It was a letter we call Philippians. It was written as a thank you note. Paul wrote it from Rome. He's in prison and he writes a thank you note that they have participated with him in the gospel of the kingdom. Here's what he said. Philippians 4 verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not because I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received a full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He is saying, you entered into partnership of the kingdom by your investing in the work of the Lord. And folks, I just want to stop and say thank you for your investment in the work of the Lord. Even as a brother George has already done so. A few weeks ago, I wrote you all a church a letter about how with January, one Sunday basically gone because of weather, the other Sunday on the January the 1st, that our giving had been significantly impacted by that. And since my letter was sent to you, you have responded with such wonderful generosity. And we have seen a dramatic shift. And I'm so grateful for that. And by, as we continue to do that, we're going to see that shortfall completely eradicated, I know. But I thank you for your giving to God. You give to God and his work through your offerings at West Park so that we can see the work of the Lord carried out and we are hastening the day of the Lord as we do that. Friends, sometimes we just have to think about our net worth. Now, I was thinking about this this week. What is your net worth? What's my net worth? And you know, there's a very clear calculator and a calculation on what your net worth is. This is your net worth. Nothing beyond this. This is your net worth. Your net worth is this. What money cannot buy plus what death cannot take away, that is your net worth. What you have that money cannot buy and death cannot take away from you, that is your true net worth. And how powerful it is when we apply that formula to our value system. How should we live our lives with sanctification, participation, and then I can only just give you this word, anticipation. Verse 13, anticipation. We're looking forward to it. Verse 13, but according to his promise, 
We are waiting, and this means waiting with expectancy for the new heavens and the new earth. And the word new here means a new kind, fresh. A a cleansing of this old world. A cleansing of this old atmosphere. And a fresh heavens and a fresh earth. And it's going to be so radically different. How do we know that? Because in this new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells righteousness will dwell and that word dwell there listen carefully it's a beautiful word it means to be at home there is a world coming in which righteousness will not be foreign anymore there is a world coming where righteousness will not be strange but it will be the very fabric of the world to come righteousness will be at home there And the most amazing thing, folks, it'll be our home. The new heaven and the new earth is our new home. Have you ever seen the show where they build a house or they fix a house up and they get them ready for the big reveal? You seen this? And they move the truck. They move the truck or they move the the barrier and people go, my new home. And often it's the same home, but it's been fixed up and it sure is different. It's better. We're waiting for the big reveal. Like a groom waits for the bride. You know, yesterday I had a wedding here, performed a wedding. And because some folks were delayed, we had to delay the start of it. And if you're ever back with a groom and things are being delayed, it's not a good thing, all right? I thought I was going to have to get tranquilizers or something for Kevin. But finally, about 50 minutes late when the family got here, we were able to get started. And I come here and Kevin comes there and the doors open and here comes Joan down the aisle. And I love this. I love this every time. Every time, I mean, the man knows the woman that's coming. He knows, but when he sees her, it's like, wow. (laughs) Wow. It's bride. Been waiting for this. She's more lovely than I could ever imagine. The big reveal is coming. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was sea no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain nor anything anymore. For the former things have passed away. And I saw the temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord. There was no temple there. The temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, the Lamb. The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
By light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never shut by day and there will never be night there. They will bring their glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hey, I want to say with Kevin this morning, how about you? Wow. Wow. That's something worth waiting for, right? And brothers and sisters, that's something worth living for. Father, Take this word now and use it to our hearts. And we thank you that we can truly sing and know the Lord God Almighty reigns. Lord, I pray now for someone who's here, whose name is not written in the book of life. Lord God, I pray that you will so draw him or her that this very moment they will turn to Jesus. They will repent and turn to Jesus and trust him as their Lord and Savior. Lord God, help us as your people to live in the reality of that coming great day, the day of the Lord. And we bless you, God, because you are our Lord and you reign forever and ever. And so, Lord, we sing to you today, hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just sing now. This is a beautiful song of just worship. Let's sing. Maybe you'd like to come for prayer. You'd like us to spend some time in worship. We invite you to come. But let's sing this to the Lord. Please make it a prayer of worship to the Lord.